In this podcast, we have provided general advice only and not personal advice. In giving this advice, we have not considered your personal circumstances. Welcome to EBM Insights. In this podcast, we are talking about collectibles, most importantly, what they are and how to insure them. Joining me all the way from London is Tim Stevens, a fine art underwriter from Hiscox. Hiscox is an underwriter at Lloyd's of London and largely specialises in niche areas of the market, one of which is today's topic being collectibles. Thank you for joining me today, Tim. You're welcome and thank you for having me. Thank you. Tim, before we get started, can you tell us a bit more about Hiscox and your role? Of course. So Hiscox is a global insurer working through Lloyd's of London. We have three syndicates. Um, we are the oldest syndicate in Lloyd's, uh, with our syndicate being Syndicate 33, um, the origins of which date back to 1901. Um, and we are the original insurer of fine art as well, which started in the 60s under our honorary president, Robert Hiscox. Um, but now, as a market, we, we cover all sorts of clients of business, sort of from mm-hmm. kidnap and ransom to terrorism, and then also small commercial. So a real broad um, plethora of, of insurance there. Yeah. Um, so I started at Hiscox in 2019 as part of the underwriting graduate scheme. And I did various things around the business, a bit of terrorism, a bit of commercial, and a bit of strategy. I then moved into the fine art team in 2021. Uh, where I now reside within a team of five and we service clients worldwide, including here in Australia. Thank you. So to set the scene for today, can you describe what is meant by the term collectibles? Sure. So a collectible is an incredibly broad term and intentionally broad for what we what we ensure. Mm-hmm. So you can think of your classic fine art examples, so paintings and sculptures, um, and then also private jewellery. So ladies' engagement rings or, or um, gold world watches, that sort of thing, but also any sort of collectible items such as sports memorabilia, uh, old books, porcelain, even wine yes. and spirits. So, so much out there that we, we insure and can insure. So, um, Tim, would collectors be aware that they can insure their collection separately to, say, their household insurance? So I definitely think there's somewhat of a lack of awareness of how to insure collectible. Mm-hmm especially in the sort of high net worth market where they're often picked up by what would be a contents policy. Yeah. And the issue is that the basis of valuation and indemnification there is quite separate. So they're looking to replace something good for new, sort of old for new, yep. which obviously can't apply for a collectible because you can't replace it sort of by definition. So I think somewhere there is certainly that gap in the market for, for that insurance. All right, thank you. And so what is generally covered in a collectibles insurance policy? Um, so when it comes to the sort of the fine art side of things, we have an incredibly broad coverage. Yeah. We write an all risks policy, which defaults to worldwide coverage. The key thing being that we are insuring it for physical loss and physical damage. Um, and as part of this indemnification process, we are looking to restore um, the item following the damage claim and also looking to indemnify the insured with a reduction in value uh, or depreciation settlement. Um, these are covered with net excess standard. So as soon as a loss happens, the insured is covered. Um, and we also cover things such as the pairs and sets, whereas if an item is a set of um, various items, such as a coin collection, one of those coins is lost or damaged, the following depreciation of the set of coins will also be indemnified. Okay. 
in the event of a claim, what would a policyholder expect from Hiscox? So we are experts in the market and we've been doing this for such a long time that we understand exactly how to identify a collector. Mm -hmm. And as I touched on earlier, that's centered around restoring the piece as opposed to doing a cash settlement. Um, understanding that a lot of the time this is a very emotional collection for someone and also or sometimes has a historic value. So the, the aim here is to get that piece back to as good a condition as can be. And then we also, following that, will uh, look at covering what will be the depreciation and value of that item. So the, the assured is totally identified, plus has that, that piece back that they want in their collection. Okay. And do you have any examples of, of a claim? Yeah, so this wasn't actually a Hiscott's claim per se, but one I think is very demonstrative of how these this cover operates. So uh, Le Reve, a Picasso acquired by Stephen Wynne in the in the late 90s, um, which we bought for nearly 50 million US dollars, um, which he agreed to sell to Stephen Cohen in 2006 for 140 million dollars. Um, the night before he was selling the piece, he had a few friends over at his office for a private viewing um, and managed to stick his elbow straight through the canvas, creating quite significant damage. Um, the insurance at the time paid for the painting to be restored. Um, it's quite incredible sometimes how talented these restorers are. So for example, they will stitch the microfibers of the piece back together um, to result in quite a significant restoration. Yeah. And then we also, uh, all the insurers also paid a depreciation of value claim to um, to Mr. Wynn. Mr. Wynn then sold it to uh, to Mr. Cohen in 2013 for 155 million, so made a net profit after all. So uh, all's well that ends well. Um, it's a very good example. <laughs> <laughs> on a slightly sort of separate note, sort of going to the the smaller side of things and, and the jewelry side of things, um, we had an assured which had a their, sort of their diamond on their engagement ring, which is worth about 75,000 US dollars. They were in an accident which resulted in the diamond being chipped. Now, naturally an engagement ring is quite an emotional item for mm -hmm. someone. So we presented the assured with two options to um, either have that original diamond recut in the same shape, but albeit smaller, or to have a new diamond put in place. And of course, with a smaller diamond, we would have paid for the reduction in value, right? Um, in the end, the assured actually opted for the bigger diamond, which I would <laughs> tend to be too surprised about. Um, and we took the, the chip diamond back for our salvage and, and sold it on. So everyone's happy there in that situation, yeah. which I think, again, is quite a nice example of, of how we operate. Yeah, we're working together. Exactly. That's great. All right, thank you. Those are great examples. Are there any specific requirements a collector needs to meet from the insurance perspective when they are seeking a collectibles insurance policy? Yeah, so I think there's sort of two angles here. There's the first angle being the valuation piece. Mm -hmm. So with what we what we cover, we have some items that are worth several million or several tens of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. In those situations, we need to have the comfort that those are being valued by a professional. Uh, what we always say is a credible valuer. So if you're thinking something's worth 100 million, you normally expect someone like Sotheby's or Christie's to tell you that. Right. Whereas if you've got a coin as part of your collection that's worth 10,000, perhaps a credible uh, a credible valuer there will be your local auction house or you has someone in-house who understands what these, these items are worth. Um, on the separate side, you have how that collection is protected. Yeah. 
So again, it's always relative to the size of the, um, the collection here. So if you have very expensive items or jewellery, for example, you expect them to be very well looked after and have a very good alarms in place, sometimes security, depending on the, uh, on the profile of the assured. And for example, safes, um, they're willing to withstand some pretty bad treatment by uh, potential thieves. Mm -hmm. um, and also on the fire side of things, you'll want to be understanding that there is that those precautions in place, again, proportionate to the size of the assured. Thank you. What, what are some of the main types of claims you see under a collectibles policy? In terms of volume, as opposed to value, the vast majority are accidental damage. Mm -hmm. So you're pretty standard. Someone's moved the piece from the, the living room to the kitchen and they've dropped it and it's, yeah. and it's either smashed if it's, uh, if it's fragile or it's, it's chipped or, and you know, those are normally fairly straightforward ones to settle and, um, uh, and restore. We also have, unfortunately, a few theft claims the majority of these are with jewellery um, due to the nature of what we're insuring here. And that also art theft is a pretty stupid crime because yeah. uh, their secondhand value dramatically drops. And there's also very good, now very good surveillance, very good understanding of where these stolen items are trying to be sold, right. um, such as the art loss register. Um, and then we also naturally have fire claims, unfortunately, which tend to be a full loss. So it can be quite catastrophic. And then we have your classic storm of water damage, so the pipes burst and ruin someone's artwork. Or um, we also have quite a few mysterious loss, which is again a more driven by our, our jewelry portfolio. So someone's mm. someone's gone out and their their watch has slipped off their wrist, or it's someone's uh, the diamonds falling out their ring, for example. Yeah. Um, which yeah, that's those are predominantly the the, the the losses that we see. All right, thank you. So um, to close out this podcast, I'd like to hear more about some of the more interesting or quirky collectibles you've come across over the years. Um, a few years ago, the media over here told the story of a local person who built an actual house to store their 30,000 plus vinyl record collection. Um, what are some other examples you can share? So we've seen some pretty weird and wacky stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also quite fortunate to uh, work with several large museums during my time. So um for example, we've seen uh, someone's uh, had their a Banksy drawn their house, yep. and they've taken the wall off that side of the house and sold the wall <laughs> and rebuilt it for themselves. Um, which I thought was quite creative. Yes. Um, I've also insured a sculpture that had as a head a live beehive. Um, okay. which I thought it's quite weird, but quite cool. Um, we also naturally see so many interesting sort of Dutch master paintings, Monet, Manet, all lots of different um, movements. So pretty much you name them and short them yeah um instruments musical instruments worth tens of millions really interesting sort of violin collections that sort of thing um and on the sort of memorabilia side we have insured several world cups the actual cup itself oh. and various different sports so yeah. that's always quite an interesting one to see um and hold your breath as they they put it out and, uh, <laughs> up and covering it in champagne yeah <laughs> and drinking from it <laughs> exactly. all right thank you very much just a great way to finish up so thanks for joining me today, Tim. Um, for the listeners, you can find out more about the collectibles insurance product by giving us a call on 1300 755 Don't forget that our entire podcast series is available on Spotify, plus we have links to each episode on ebm.com.au. Thank you again to Tim from Hiscox. Most welcome. Thank you.